I gave you four categories of signs this morning that let us know we are the generation that will see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and soon and very soon. First category, of course, was signs in society. We looked at the scripture. The second category was signs in nature and the world. Uh, signs number three in concerning the nation of Israel. And then the fourth category of sign, signs was signs in technology and advancement. And, and I, of course, I think I failed to mention the fact that, that that's significant because, you know, the Bible says that the gospel needed to be preached uh, to the ends of the earth and then shall the end come. Well, through modern technology, the Internet, satellite, with the push of a button, people can hear the gospel virtually all over the world. And, of course, 83 million Bibles are uh, distributed annually on a global scale. Uh, you know, um, so tremendous things are happening and, uh, we're standing on the verge of, and the threshold of the coming of Christ. So, you know, there are two, two basic sources whereby you and I can gain understanding of the times in which we live. First of all, and, and foremost is the written word of God. That's why we took some opportunity this morning to look into the scripture, to see what the scripture has to say about the last days in each of those four categories. And then of course, there is a, a secondary source of information whereby you and I can gain insight into the times and seasons in which we're living. And that's what we call the prophetic word or that which is spoken through the office of the prophet or given by revelation. Now, I want you to turn with me, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I want you to look in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And, you know, I just endeavor to let the Spirit pull out of my spirit what needs to come forth. Amen. So, Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 19, Peter speaking here to the group that was listening. Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive or retain until the times of restitution or restoration of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Peter's preaching, you know, a nice sermon, then all of a sudden he kind of switches gears and begins to talk about the coming of Christ. And he said, you know, the coming of Christ will be characterized by times of refreshing, which you and I would call revivals or moves of God. And then also a time of restitution or restoration. Now, this word has the connotation of an estate being restored back to its original condition. Uh, and, and, of course, we understand the applicable meaning here is that concerning the nation of Israel. And we talked about that this morning. Until that estate be restored, until Israel be restored to its place, position uh, in, in Scripture. But it also has a parallel meaning for the church, you know, because when God does something in the nation of Israel, he subsequently is moving in the church. You can just see that pattern, you know. So, you know, thinking about times of restoration, uh, times of refreshing, we, we said that the 20th century was a prophetic century. There were so many things uh, that were fulfilled concerning biblical prophecy in that hundred year period. A and quite a lot took place with the church. Uh, you know, at the turn of the century in 1901, 
January of 1901, uh, there was a group of individuals at Topeka, uh, Kansas, at Bethel Bible College uh, with Charles Parham, and they were seeking God. They'd been praying and seeing this evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, with the evidence of speaking in, un- in other tongues. And you understand that, that this particular experience had been somewhat lost to the church of Jesus Christ, except for a remnant, a few throughout the ages, you know. And God started his restoration process in the turn of the, of the century in 1900. They were seeking God at midnight there, 1901, January, you know, and, uh, And one of his students said, Mr. Parham, lay hands on me that I might receive the baptism. And Mr. Parham said, well, I don't know if I want to do that because I don't have the experience myself. She said, lay hands upon me. I know I'll receive. So Mr. Parham laid hands upon her and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. Well, other students subsequently followed. Mr. Parham uh, uh, also uh, a few days later received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this experience began to grow uh, and expand as people came in contact with those individuals, namely uh, Mr. Uh, William Seymour who made his way down to Los Angeles, California, right here. And you're very familiar with that in 1906 to 1910. Uh, what started in, in, in a home and, and began really by a group of Baptist ladies or girls, they were really teenagers that had gotten baptized in the Holy Ghost and began praying for an outpouring of the Spirit. And then Mr. Seymour came and they began to have the, the little home meeting there, outgrew that, and then ended up at Azusa Street in a little warehouse that holds about 300 people, you know, max. And then uh, they had times where it was overflowing, but they had a tremendous outpouring of the Shekinah glory of God. 1906 to 1910, outstanding miracles, uh, the blind, uh, limbs that were non-existent grew. I mean, these are, you can read about these tumors, the size of basketballs disappearing. And it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the facilitators of the meeting necessarily, uh, that were being used in the miracles. It was the people that were attending the meetings, the, the sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens. And that's why, you know, that'll be significant in, a, in, in a little while. But, um, so, you know, At the beginning of the century, we began to see some restoration in the church. Then from 1947, and I'll deal specifically with America, 1947 and 1958, we had what we call the healing revival. The healing power of God had come, you know, uh, become somewhat uh, uh, non-prevalent or visible. And so uh, there was a lull in that demonstration in the body of Christ. And so 1947 and 1958, we had a healing revival right here in America. Men and women like uh, Jack Coe, A.A. Allen, uh, uh, Catherine Kuhlman, uh, and, and one of the most notable, Mr. Oral Roberts, uh, were mightily used in, the, in this healing revival. And, and Mr. Roberts, of course, had a tent of 10,000 that sat 10,000. He was the first one to bring healing on national television where people could sit in their living rooms and, and watch the healing power of God in demonstration. So that was tremendous restoration, restoration to the body of Christ. And then in the 60s and 70s, we have what we've come to term as the charismatic renewal, which I'll, I'll comment further on in a moment, the charismatic renewal where hundreds of thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Spirit coming out of denominational churches. And I want to save that because there's something very significant about that event. And then, of course, all these that came out of the charis- uh, these denominational churches were very hungry for truth. 
And so God raised up the ministry of the teacher. There was a revival in the 70s and 80s of the teaching ministry, and it still continues today. Until that time, people, most everyone preached hell, fire, brimstone, and damnation. Very little revelation of anything else, you know. They preached and they preached hard. And if you didn't preach, you weren't invited anywhere to as a guest. You know, you had to preach. But people needed to be taught because there was zero revelation in the body of Christ, which was a part of the restoration process. So there was a revival of the teaching ministry and God rose, uh, uh, caused the teacher to, to rise to prominence. And upon that particular revival of the teaching ministry rode the message of the word of faith that you and I now enjoy. Most people can understand that, in, friends, in the 19, uh, you know, 70s, 60s and 70s, we did not know that we were redeemed from the curse of the law. We did not know that we were raised to sit in heavenly places in Christ. We did not know that God is good and the devil is the destroyer. We did not know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We did not know that God has given us power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt, hurt us. This generation that now enjoys these revelatory truths, that we didn't know that. God restored revelation knowledge to the church. And that particular message is spread all around the world. Amen. And then, of course, in the 90s, you know, we had... Uh, the, the, the revival of joy and saturation. Man, we had what we called Holy Ghost meetings and had some here in that other building where people were just drunk in the spirit, dragging them out, have, had to have a designated driver to go home. I mean, I was in those meetings. The glory would roll in. Whole sections would fall under the power. You know, people would get up and dance in the spirit. And we still have that from time to time. But it was a move of the spirit. It was a, a season where God moved in that particular direction, and we appreciated it. So, you know, we can look throughout the 20th century, and we see that it were, they were seasons of revival, restoration to the body of Christ. Amen? But one thing I, I want to specify to you this, this evening, and, and that is, once again, there are two sources of, of information when it comes to understanding the times for you and I as the body of Christ. First and foremost, the written Word of God, and then a second and subsequent and vital source of information is what we call the prophetic word or that which is spoken by by the prophetic office. Or here, here, here's a further uh, clarification there, and that is perhaps visions or dreams. You're, you know, in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 17, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, they said, what is going on here? What is this? And of course, Peter said, well, this is what Joel prophesied, not the totality, but partial. He said, you know, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Amen. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So obviously, visions and dreams are characteristic of the New Testament dispensation in which you and I live. And indeed they are. So it should not disturb you or think that it's weird if someone says, I had a dream from God. I had a vision. If that vision is substantiated, uh, you know, from the scripture, if it bears witness with your spirit as truth because you have the spirit of truth within you, 
and you judge it as truth, then it becomes a valid source of information whereby you and I as the body of Christ can gain insight into the times and seasons in which we're living. Amen. Just as the Old Testament prophets would see by revelation and would speak by revelation, you understand there are prophets in the New Testament dispensation. You're well taught here. Ephesians 4.11, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts unto men. First, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying and the building up of the body of Christ. That's why they were set in the church. So with all that said, tonight I want to share with you two very, very important visions that Brother Hagen, who was a prophet in the body of Christ, he was not the only one, but a very significant voice, and one that I was hooked up with, you know, in ministry, 11 years. And, of course, I followed him since 1981. That was my first uh, camp meeting, 1981, uh, as a young, young boy. So the point is he was a prophet in the body of Christ, and the revelations that he received were not for himself. They were for you and I. And so it would behoove us to know what those visions entailed, and particularly those that pertain to the end times. He had two very significant visions. They were recorded in the Voice of Healing in 1953, and I want to share them with you this evening. In 1950, Brother Hagen was in Rockwall, Texas, uh, September 2nd. He was holding a tent meeting. It had rained all day. And so he said very few people came out to the meeting that evening, about 40 people. So he gave a short Bible lesson. And then he asked everyone to come to the front to pray. He said, so we gathered at the front. He said, I kneeled by a folding chair on the platform, began to pray in the spirit. And he said, I did not expect to happen what did happen. He said, but all of a sudden I heard someone say, come up hither. He said, I thought everybody heard it. And then the voice said again, Come up hither. He said, I opened my eyes, and when I looked up, Jesus was standing at the top of the tent. And then in a moment of time, he said, the tent disappeared, the tent pulled, everybody disappeared. I'm standing there in front of Jesus. And this vision was multifaceted, and I can't share every part of it with you because it's not all applicable. But the part I want to share with you, some of it was personal regarding his personal ministry. And may I say this to you also, that, to give you a little insight as it just came to my memory, uh, substantiating his office. You know, before Brother Hagen was born, his mother had trouble with the pregnancy. She was walking to her mother's home one day uh, down the sidewalk, and Jesus appeared to her. And he said to her, Fear not, the child shall be born. He shall bear witness concerning my second coming. And he shall fulfill his ministry in the power of the Spirit. Well, she, you know, she ran on to her mother's house. When she got there, she was white as a ghost. She said, I didn't, uh, my mother said, what in the world happened? She, she told her what happened. She said, I never mentioned it again because in my day, people would think you were crazy. And she said, my mother never mentioned it. Well, in a subsequent vision, Jesus told Brother Hagen, he said, I told your mother I appeared to her before, uh, I, I appeared to your mother before you were born. And told her you bear witness concerning my second coming as a prophet. And so he confronted his mother on the issue. And he said, Mom, Jesus appeared to me and told me that he told you. 
fear not, I'd be born. She said, son, that's exactly right. But I didn't want to say anything to anyone because I, I thought maybe they'd think I was crazy. And he told her to name him John. But she named him Kenneth. <laughs> you know, go figure. John the Baptist was the forerunner of his first, you know, coming. And then the second coming. And all this will make very clear sense now. And friends, I'm just presenting this to you tonight. You're under no obligation to accept it. If it bears witness with your spirit, I invite you to receive the revelation and truth of it. Amen. You can get a book called I Believe in Visions. And partially this is penned in that book. But anyway, so in this vision, he's standing before Jesus. And then uh, Jesus had in his hand the soul winner's crown. We may comment about that. But then later in the vision, he said he was suspended in space. He could see nothing for miles and miles. Finally, he saw a dot uh, on the horizon. And as the dot got closer, he could make out the fact that it was a horse. And then as it came even closer, he could see a rider on the horse. As the rider approached him on the horse, he was holding a scroll in his left hand. Brother Hagen said, I was standing on his right. The rider uh, took the scroll from his left, put it in his right, handed it to Brother Hagen and said, read in the name of Jesus. This was 1950. Written on the scroll in large, bold letters were the words, and it was repeated four or five times. The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. Then he read on the scroll, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, in yet seven days, I will send rain upon the earth and destroy every living thing that lives upon and creeps upon the face of the earth. Even now, I am speaking to this generation. Tell them the time they have left is comparable. Keyword, comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. Then he said, now. In the last days, this is 1950, which are just ahead, he said, the church will do tremendous exploits. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in manifestation in the church. They'll do greater work than recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, and tremendous advances for the kingdom of God will take place. Uh, and then he said, tell my people I'm coming. He said, tell them that... Judgment is coming upon the earth. Warn this generation, but I will take my people out before the worst shall come. And he said, you know, be faithful. Watch and pray. I'm coming soon. The time is short. 1950. So, you know, that's very interesting, isn't it? He said, the time you have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. Tell the church they're in for their most glorious uh, days and expansion, and I'm coming soon. He said, I'm gathering my people together, and I'm preparing them for my coming. Well, wonderful. You know, 1950. Okay, here we are, 2011. All right. Now, he had made mention. Oh, and this was a very important point. I almost forgot. And he said two times when he started talking about the church and what would happen. He said, now, and he, Jesus said this to him twice. This is 
the last great revival. And then as he left him again, he said, this is the last great revival. 1950. Well, 12 years later, 1962, Brother Hagen is in Houston, Texas. Uh, December, around, I think, the 20-something. And he was ministering in a church. And he was recounting to those that were present the vision of 1950, what Jesus had said. Well, as he was recounting that vision, he realized that he had personally failed in doing some of the things the Lord had asked him to do in regards to the healing ministry and the prophet's ministry. And so he said, when I realized I had failed because I was rehearsing that vision, he said, I got right down on my knees in that meeting, right in front of the people, to repent to the Lord for failing to fulfill everything I should have. He said, when my knees hit the floor, I fell into a trance and I had another vision. Now, in this particular vision, and this will all make sense in a moment, he said, in this vision, I walked up to the most beautiful garden you've ever seen in your life. It was square. It was surrounded by a white picket fence. And it was covered with flowers and roses with the most amazing aroma you could imagine. He said, as I approached the gate to this garden, Jesus met me at the gate. Jesus opened the door, the, 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 the gate, took me by the hand brought me into the garden, closed the gate, held my hand as we walked down the center of the garden to an arbor that was in the center. He said, when we got there under the arbor, there were two white marble seats, one on one side, one on the other. He said, Jesus sat down and motioned for me to sit on the other side. He said, I came into the garden from the east side, and he said, I, I was looking at, at the west side, and I saw a huge, huge river. And it was it was pouring tons of water into this garden. He said at its highest point, it was about 50 feet wide. And then as it came into the garden, it narrowed. And he said, as I looked at this massive amount of water coming into the garden, he said, I turned to the Lord and I said, what in the world is this? And all of a sudden he said, the water became people. He said, I saw millions of people flowing into this garden. And they were dressed from every walk of life. They were in suits and evening gowns. They were in, you know, there were housewives and common laborers. Every person uh, that you could imagine were flowing into this garden uh, by the hundreds of thousands and millions of people, just massive amounts. And that's when Brother Hagin said, what, what is this? What is this? And Jesus turned to him and he said this, 1962. He said, this is that which I will do now in this last hour. I will visit hungry hearts in every uh, church. And this is interesting. He said, in every denomination of the world. And then I thought this was cute. He said, what you call denominations. See, he sees his body. 
So what you call denom- I will visit hungry hearts in every denomination, Catholic, Episcopalian, Wesleyan, Nazarene, Baptist, Methodist. He said, I will even visit other religions, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, wherever there's a hungry heart and an open heart. I will visit them in this last hour. I will bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you'll have a part of this. You'll minister to these that come out of these churches and you'll teach them truth, you know. And of course, he did. Here's what I want you to see, friends. A lot of things that we're expecting are actually history. Jesus told Brother Hagin in 1950. He said, now, the church is going to be doing tremendous exploits. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in manifestation. Greater things will transpire than occurred in the book of Acts or recorded in the book of Acts. And then in 1962, now here's the last hour. I'm going to visit hungry hearts in every denomination and religion of the world. I'll bring them into the fullness of salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is the last great revival. Then he said it again. This is the last great revival. Before he comes. Well, I told my wife, see, the Spirit stirred me to go back and get those visions. I haven't read them in a long time. Last year. And I told my wife, I said, now, wait a minute. Are you telling me Jesus said that in 1950 and then in 62, this is the last great revival? Even though we've seen each decade has had its own individual emphasis or move of refreshing Obviously, it's been one in the mind of God, one continual revival. I said, I need to go investigate this on a global scale. And when I did, I was absolutely amazed. This was in 1962. He said, now in this last hour, I'm going to visit. Well, friends, in 1964, the winds of the Holy Spirit began to, to blow across this world. And the Holy Ghost began to visit people with hungry hearts in every denomination of the world. We've termed it the charismatic renewal. I was 18 years old. I was raised Baptist. I went to a Catholic Bible study and came out speaking in other tongues. <laughs> How many of you came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit in those days in the 70s or 80s? Raise your hand. Oh, glory to God. You remember how hungry we were? I, I, I mean, we'd drive for miles to get into a Bible study. If we could get into a ballroom in a hotel where the word was being preached, because as I told you, we did not know those truths and we were thrilled with them. Ooh, and I still am. But here's what I want you to see tonight. Jesus said, now this will be the last great revival. And so I began looking. The winds of the Spirit began to go blow right there in the 1960s. Did you know in 1960 on the continent of Africa, there were about 10 million Christians on the entire continent? And did you know now in a period of 50 years that they estimate anywhere from 400 to 600 million Christians on the continent of Africa in 50 years? One out of every three Africans are Christian, with a large majority of them baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Brother Hagen had that vision in 62. In 1967, a little preacher by the name of Reinhard Bonnke started preaching. Woo! In the continent of Africa. 
From 1995 to the year 2000, they estimated 10 million souls were saved in his ministry alone. And then from 2000 to 2005, an additional 38 million. 48 million souls alone under his ministry just in the little over the last decade. <laughs> Anything happening? You better believe it. Woo! China in the 1950s. Under the communist regime, uh, the missionaries, the Catholic missionaries and the Protestant missionaries were expelled from China in the 1950s. They left behind about one million Protestant Christians and three million Catholics in the 1960s. That was the church in China. And guess what today, my friends? It's estimated, and these are only the ones we can count, not the, those that are meeting in underground meetings and secret places. These are the ones we can count from one million Protestant Christians to over 100 million in a 50-year period. And they say that the revival of China is characterized by signs, wonders, miracles, supernatural interventions, uh, you know, saving them from dangerous situations, resurrections of the dead, and most assuredly the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. Woo! The nation of India. Did you know that there are 35 million Pentecostal charismatic Christians? When I say charismatic Pentecostal, I'm including anyone that claims the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That would be charismatics, Pentecostals, neo-charismatics. All who claim that. 35 million. They're fifth in the world behind Brazil, United States, China, and Nigeria. For Charismatic Pentecostal Christians. I'd say Jesus has been busy in the earth. From one million to a hundred million. From just a few to 35 million. Amen. Latin America. Latin America. Listen. In 1960, there was approximately 12.6 million. In the whole of Latin America, 12.6 million, uh, what we would call... Pentecostals, and there were only about 18 million evangelicals, 1960. 50 years later, there's over 160 million charismatic Pentecostal Christians in Latin America. <laughs> 8,000 converts a day. In Latin America to evangelical Christianity and 70% of all evangelicals in Latin America claim the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Brazil is the fifth largest country in the world and 93% of Brazilians are Christian. 40% of the entire world's charismatics are in Latin America. Woo! The Holy Ghost has been busy right here in our own country, America. Even though this particular revival that began in the 60s has continued very fervently on a worldwide scale and somewhat waned here, still.
still 75 or 85 percent of Americans claim Christianity. That's about 224 million of us. And of the 224 million that claim Christianity, 51 percent, about 112 million of us, are baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. Woo! Those are the ones we can count. Now, people wonder, why isn't America and Latin America mentioned in biblical prophecy? Because when the rapture comes, there's not going to be many left. That's why. We're basically a non-entity. You understand that. You'll be crippled, you know, socially, economically, militarily. I mean, you're going to have to do a lot of restructuring. They still have 100 million or so here. That's a lot of folks, but still, you know what I'm saying? Woo! A little country of Nepal. It's a Himalayan country, you know, between India and China there. In 1960, there were about 25 Christians on record. Fifty years later, that little tiny country, over a million. Glory to God. (laughs) South Korea, 33% are Christian. Eleven of the, the world's 12 largest congregations in the world are in South Korea. In 1980, they had the, the largest gathering in history. It's been far surpassed now. But the largest gathering history over 2,700,000 for uh, 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 a single Christian gathering where they had about 70,000 conversions. At that time, that was the largest in history. Now in Africa and different places, they count them by the acre. <laughs> Jesus said, this is the last great revival. Now, see, we, we sometimes, we, we, you know, we glorify the past, we spectacularize the future, and we're missing what's really been happening in the present, you see. And, and so, tremendous things have been taking place. And when it comes to all the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation. See, if you weren't around in the, in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, in, in friends, there was power in the church, even in America. Outstanding miracles. 1981, I was in Brother Hagin's crusade in Birmingham, Alabama. There was a guy who had been shot through the spine. He was completely paralyzed. Brother Hagin laid hands on him. And I'm not saying, oh, he tried to get up and walk around. No, he was paralyzed. He laid hands on him. The power of God hit that man, picked him up. Out of the chair. I saw it with my own eyes. Picked him up out of the chair. He went down on one knee like this and came up and shook his head. And he was completely healed. And walked. And hadn't walked in years. (laughs) Two years later, Brother Hagin was there in the mall. And the guy came up to him in the mall and said, do you remember me? He said, no. He said, I'm the guy that was paralyzed, shot in the spine. And here I am. Two years later, I'm still walking. And listen, the miracles that take place in foreign countries is affirmation of the gospel that that is preached. Outstanding. They far surpass anything that has ever been recorded in the book of Acts. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The deaf ears are open. I'd like to see a lot of that here in America. I've seen those things overseas. Tremendous, you know. And, and, you know, we think about, well, there were 3,000 people saved on the day of, of Pentecost. Friends, guess what? Can I tell you something? When you go home tonight and put your head on the pillow and you wake up in the morning, there'll be 175,000 more believers on the planet every day. 
I mean, 3,000 was great, but that happens every 25 minutes now. Woo! Friends, good Lord. Jesus has been reaping the harvest. The Holy Ghost has been working. There are more Christians on the planet today than there were people in 1900. In 1900, there was 1.6 billion people on the whole planet. Today, by the end of 2011, they estimate 7 billion. Do you understand what has happened in a 100-year period? 1.6 billion to 7 billion, the population has exploded on purpose. There are more Christians now than there were people. There are 2.5 billion Christians on planet Earth. Woo! We're the largest religion in the world. And they're trying to say, well, Islam is the fastest growing religion. Baloney! They count births. If you're born into our family, you're a Muslim. We count new births, recreations, new creations, amen, conversions. <laughs> Woo! 2.5 billion of us. Now, out of that 2.5 billion, 1.3 billion are what we would term Protestant Christians, which is very diversified, right? Non-Catholic believers. 1.3 billion of us. But now get this. Has anything been happening? Are we having revival? Oh, yes. Out of 1.3 Protestant Christians, 620 million of us are baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. We're the second largest faction of Christianity next to the Roman Catholic Church. The Pentecostals. Charismatics. Woo! And guess what? 120 million Catholics who have, who have desired to stay in the Catholic Church claim the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 120 million of them that we can count. So that's about 740 million of the 1.3 billion that are baptized with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And we're growing at 9 million a year. Just the charismatic Pentecostal element. Whew. I'd say that sounds like revival on a global scale. And friends, it's happening all over the world. Jesus is coming. Jesus said, told him, he said, now, you tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. I think that's an interesting word. We're in the seventh decade. I'm just saying. I'm not prophesying. Is it a, is it a, a, a year, Brother Marty? Two years? A decade? Could be all the above. One thing I'm convinced of, it's close. We see it in the signs of the times, not trying to sensationalize. What must we do? We need to get everybody we can in. We need to be fervent about reaching the lost. Amen. Now, brother, and I, I, can you give me a couple of more minutes? How many? Give me five more minutes. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. All right. Good. Praise God. <laughs> 
So, you know, pretty powerful, isn't it? And he said, now this is the last great revival. So obviously, man, we've been in a revival for 50 years. <laughs> now, Brother Hagin passed away in 2003. If he was supposed to bear witness of the second coming of Christ, how far away could it be? You know, not to glorify a man. Uh, he may have gone home a little early because he wanted to. I don't know. But here's the point before he passed. We were in a meeting in Jackson, Mississippi. Tremendous depth in that meeting of the Spirit. And he began to prophesy. He saw. And he, and he saw something that obviously arrested his attention. Uh, and these were the words. And, and I, I, I think it's pretty interesting, so I'll share it with you. He said, now, he, he was seeing and, and uh, then also declaring that which he saw. He said, if it could be told you, if it were possible for you to look into the future... And to see that which is coming, he said, your hearts would be glad. Speaking to the church. He said, if you could look into the future and see that which is in store, he said, it'd be difficult for some of you even to believe. But it shall surely come. He said, the power of God in manifestation shall come. Now, he, he, he prophesied a lot to America, you know, and things pertaining to America. Now, I, and I'll continue, but I'm of the opinion God's not anticlimactic. If he had such tremendous things at the beginning of the century, why don't we just leave with a bang? <laughs> make a tremendous impact, you know. Let's make the grand finale. So we said, you know, if you, if you could see, he said, it'd be difficult for some of you to believe. But it shall surely come. The power of God in manifestation shall come. And, and this was 1998 now, just a few years before he passed. He said, where there's been a few saved here. And a few saved there, many shall be saved here, many shall be saved there. Where there's been a few filled with the Spirit here, and a few filled with the Spirit there, many shall be filled with the Spirit here, many shall be filled with the Spirit there. Where there's been a few healed here, and a few healed there, an outstanding healing here, an outstanding healing there, many healings. Well, we've certainly seen the partial fulfillment of that already in the first decade of the 21st century. Did you know that more people were saved in the first 10 years of this century than any other 10-year period in history? Woo! Multitudes. But yet, I'd kind of like to think there's something coming for our country. <laughs> we need a stirring. You know. I'll never forget after 9-11, man, the, the entire, all the churches were packed. Something about America, people are so comfortable, it just takes something shaking their boat to get them, up, you know, thinking about God. But you know he loves people enough to shake their boat? Because why? He, he wants their soul. He wants them to spend eternity with him. Anyway, he went on to say a, a revival or a renewal is coming. So that would be, you know, just... Something that maybe has dissipated that would be revived. Not necessarily a separate revival, but an emphasis. He said a revival is coming, a renewal of special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings. It's on the horizon. And then he went on to say, as Elijah said, I, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. First, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out over the sea. Well, that morning, Brother Hagin said, I see a cloud rising on the horizon of time, and I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He said, glory to God, the rain is coming.
The rain of the Spirit, the former and the latter rain, falling upon His saints, falling upon good ground. And when that Spirit manifests Himself, all those around shall be blessed. Not only will you be blessed and your family be blessed, but everyone you come in contact with will be blessed. Well, that tells me we're going to be carrying something. And listen, I am thoroughly convinced that the last thing God wants to do on this planet is not through the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. It is once again through the sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens. Woo! Amen. Touching people in our sphere of life and influence and bringing them into the kingdom of God. He said, not only will you be blessed and your family be blessed, but everyone you come in contact with will be blessed. Now he went on to say this, friends. He said, now, this is the Holy Ghost speaking in prophecy. He said, now, sit and say, well, let's see it come. And when it comes, I'll rejoice. Woo! And nothing will happen. Now, interesting, God's going to get his job done. He'll find people. But now, why would that be true? Well, because we're the body of Christ. The purposes of the head are contingent upon the cooperation of the body. Amen. Jesus told Brother Hagin one time, he said, there's some things I've desired to do in the church and through the church in the earth, but I've been unable to do because of a lack of cooperation. Well, certainly so. If I, as the body, don't cooperate with the impulses of the head, how are the purposes of the head going to be carried out? So he said, now don't sit and say, let's see it come. He said, arise, arise. And he said, leap into the water. Not just waters to wade in, but waters to swim in. What does he mean? Come on back in the spirit. Come on. You know, get away from being so captivated by your natural life. Arise, church. You know, awaken. Get on back in the spirit, not just the shallows, into the depths. What? Pray a little more like you used to. Keep your spirit tuned up in praying in tongues. Amen. And, and, and be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Why? Well, because he said, listen. In that vision in 1950, when, when he went up to the tent and was standing before him at the top of the tent, the very first thing of the vision, Jesus was holding this crown. And Brother Hagin said, it was the most beautiful crown I have ever seen in my life. And I said, Lord, what is this? He said, this is the soul winner's crown. And it belongs to every one of my children. But I say to one, go here and speak to this one. And to another, go there and speak to that one. And he said, my people are so careless and indifferent and they're so busy that they don't respond. And souls are lost. Brother Hagin said he got down on his knees and just cried like a baby, put his hands on, on Jesus' feet, you know, and, and repented himself, you know. <laughs> I would. But he said, souls are lost. So, so what are we saying? Friends, if there ever was a time for us to arise and to begin to reach out to people. And what I want you to realize this, this evening is, is what God wants to do through the sons and daughters. You don't have to be a super duper Christian. You just got to be a normal one. My sister, listen, my sister, she's not what you'd call an extraordinary Christian. She doesn't have an arsenal of Bible verses at her disposal. 
She's a single mom, working her own business, raising a kid. But when she's vacuuming, when she's riding in the car, oh, praise you, Lord, I worship you today. Fellowshipping with God, communing with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And she has the most extraordinary thing. I'll share one with you. Not too long ago, she called me. She said, hey, I had the most interesting experience. I said, what was it? She said, well, you know, I was going down to the bank to make a deposit. And I didn't put any makeup on. I was going through the drive-thru. So I headed on down to make the deposit. And she said, as I went by this antique store that I stop at all the time, I mean, excuse me, that I pass all the time when I'm going to the bank, she said, I had an unction on the inside to 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 stop and turn around and go in that. She said, I ignored it right away because I didn't have any makeup on. <laughs> and I kept driving. She said, but the farther I drove, the more grieved I became. And I knew I was supposed to go into that store. So she said, I turned around, went into the antique store. And she said, I just went in and I was looking at antiques because I had no idea why I was there. And she said, but soon I saw a lady and a gentleman over in the corner speaking to one another. And she said, when I saw that lady, I knew that was my divine target. So she said, I went over to the lady and my sister, you know, she's one of those that, you, you know, she doesn't care. She's just bold and doesn't care what folks think. I think God likes that kind of person. <laughs> Some people think they're weird. He thinks they're pretty cool. And she just went over and she said to the lady, she said, ma'am, I don't want to cause you any fear or alarm. She said, but I'm here on assignment from almighty God. She said, I didn't even know what the assignment was. <laughs> That's faith. And so she said, when she said those words, see, just following, following her cue, the lady began to weep right there in front of her and began to tell her story. And she said, I've been backslidden. I was saved when I was younger, but I've been backslidden out of fellowship with God for many years. And she said, the worst part of the story is, she said, I've been diagnosed with seven, with, with cancer seven places in my body. And she said, I've been crying out to God that he would save me and that he would heal me and restore me. And she said, to think he would come and visit me here in an antique store. See, friends, most people aren't coming in the doors of this church. You've got to go out there and get them. Amen. And it's just each of us doing our part and being willing to listen, take our cue, and just follow it. And boy, she was crying, and my sister listened and, you know, ministered to her for a while. And then my sister said, well, I've been sent here by God. Let me pray for you. See? See, friends, you don't have to have a special anointing. You are anointed. You've been authorized to pray. All we have to do is take our cues. Amen. And cooperate with the Holy Ghost. So she put her hands on the side of her face, you know, very gently. And you don't always pray for like this with sickness, but this is what came out. She said, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you in Jesus name. Right there in the antique store. She didn't holler or scream, just kind of. And, and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So. She was about to leave and the girl said, can I take your picture with my cell phone and get your number? Thank God for modern technology. So she did. Well, a couple of weeks later, you know the story. My sister got a call. She said, do you remember me? And my sister said, of course, how could I forget you? She said, I, I, I just had to call and tell you something. She said, not only have I been restored and my fellowship so sweet with the Lord. She said, but I went back to the doctor. They took tests 
They cannot find cancer anywhere in my body. <laughs> the sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens. I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door. I went out on the stoop to speak with them. They had the trainer and the trainee. The trainee was doing the talking. He was nervous. so I wanted to be cordial and I listened politely. Well, as he was talking, he was holding the side of his face. And I knew he was in pain. I said, what is the matter with you? He said, man, I am in such pain. I don't know if I've got an abscess tooth or whatever, uh, but I'm going to go to the dentist tomorrow. Well, when he said that, I got a boop, I got a little cue, an unction. See, you follow the spirit, you know, I got an unction. I said, hey, can I make you a deal? The trainer wasn't too, you know, he didn't know, but the trainer said, yeah. I said, hey. Trainee said, yeah. I said, now listen, I've listened cordially to what you had to say. I said, but I, I, I'd like to share with you what I believe to be the truth. Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, the name above every name, and by no other name can man be saved. I said, and if what I share with you is truth, I believe that Jesus will heal you now and take all the pain instantly. Deal? He said, deal. The trainer was like, I don't know. He was the one hurting. Deal. So I shared with him. And then I put my hands on the side of his face right there on the stoop. And you know, I didn't go, woo! Now, I do like to get happy, but I don't want to scare the daylights out of people. <laughs> All that commotion's not necessary in that particular setting. Sometimes it's necessary for me. I get so happy I got to take off. But right there it wasn't. And so I just put my hands very simply and I said, in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, now, you know, the name whereby men must be saved. I wanted to get it all in, you know, you know, be healed, pain, dissipate, disappear. I took my hands off of him. God is my witness. His eyes got big as saucers. Jesus healed him instantly right there on the front stoop. And guess what happened? The trainer grabbed him and ran off. <laughs> I didn't even get to close the deal. <laughs> but you know, God will heal people on credit just to show and demonstrate himself. Amen. And I'm sure he closed the deal. Woo! Hallelujah. Just a couple of examples, you know. What do, we, what do we mean? What do we have to do now in this time, in this hour, in our country? I'll tell you what we need to do, friends. We need to get back to living our lives in the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit. Now, I don't mean walk around in some type of trance. Living in the Spirit is not some state of euphoria. It's just a place that we occupy through communion with God and the person of the Holy Spirit. By praying in the Spirit. You see, I cannot participate in that which I do not perceive. And perceiving what the Spirit would have me do and to whom He would have me speak is imperative to good results because the most effective faith is that which is guided and led and empowered by the Spirit. How many times did Peter and John pass that guy at the gate beautiful that was lame? How many days? But on that day, 
they perceived what the Spirit would have them do. And, 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 when he, and when he walked up to that man, the Bible says he fastened his eyes on him. I know exactly what he was doing because it's happened to me in my own ministry. I fastened my eyes. And at that moment, the Spirit begins to minister to me what he would do. There, there's a communication, see. And then Peter, fastening his eyes, said, hey, look on us. You remember? And then another place in, in Acts chapter 14, it says, Paul perceived the man had faith to be healed. See, there's a working relationship. Praise God. And all we need to do is live our lives a little more in the spirit these days. The Bible says, I have not seen, you know, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I have not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. But he hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit which is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God, which things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Listen, for the natural man perceives not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Woo! So if we're living our lives exclusively caught up in the natural, odds are we will not perceive the unctions and leadings of the Spirit. Jesus said, I speak to one and I say, go here, speak to that one, and they're too busy. Well, let's don't be guilty of that. What do we do, Brother Marty? Let's take a personal responsibility in bringing as many people as we can. And if you're in the grocery store and you pass by somebody and you just get an impression in the Spirit you need to talk to them about Jesus... Do it. You'll be so happy. <laughs> and if you, you know, you're authorized to pray, we know that. You don't need an anointing. But when you follow the Spirit in these things, you get better results. Amen. And if one of your friends next door is sick, can I pray for you? Pray for him. What if they don't get healed? That's his business. My business is to pray in Jesus' name and leave the results to him. And you'll be amazed at what he'll do through you. <laughs> so tonight, how do we maintain this place in the Spirit very quickly, and I know we've got to go. Not the only way, but one way, is by praying in the Spirit. You know that. You know, Mr. Mr. Wigglesworth, when the Bible says in uh, Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What? Be ye being filled. Amen? This is a continual thing. Mr. Mr. Wigglesworth said, listen, he said, it is a luxury to be filled with the Spirit, but it is also a divine command not to be drunk with wine where is in excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. He said, no Pentecostal person ought to get out of bed in the morning without being lost in the Spirit, speaking in other tongues. <laughs> he said, I maintain that if one would be constantly filled. He will speak in tongues morning, noon, and night. What? Drinking is an action verb. It's something you do. 
you know. And so tonight before we leave, I just thought we should drink a little bit of the Spirit corporately and ask God to bless this body and to anoint every person that we would bring in the harvest in America as quickly as we possibly can. Amen? And then we'll just drink. You know, you can maybe you're just dry, like a dry sponge tonight. You know, you can take an old dry sponge and put it into a pail of water and it is completely impervious to the water. It just, none of it goes in. Sits on top. But you put that sponge in there and start messing with it and put it under the water a little bit and squeeze it. It'll start absorbing the water until it is completely saturated. So tonight we're just going to put any dry, dead uh, dry sponges in the water. We're going to surround you with water. Glory to God. Now, you know, when it comes to drinking... I think it's an interesting analogy that Paul brings forward. You know, you can't get drunk watching someone else drink. Did you know that? And you understand when a person is drunk in the natural, they are saturated with the substance of alcohol. And they have drank continually until they have become saturated with the substance of alcohol. Did you know that you can drink as much of the Spirit as you desire? And the more of the Spirit you drink, the more saturated you become with His presence until you are completely intoxicated with the person and presence of the Holy Ghost. And you'll be amazed at what happens when you come in contact with unregenerate people on the street and you're intoxicated with the Holy Ghost. Miracles happen. Woo! Before we do, every head up, every eye open. Is there anyone in this room tonight, you've never made the Lord Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? And I'm telling you, He is coming, and He's coming soon. I believe we're in the seventh and what I believe to be the final decade. We could complete it, we may not. But if we do complete it, it'll be soon thereafter. Amen? You need to get in. And get all your family in. Anyone? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, Brother Marty. I'm not asking you to come up here. I'm asking you to raise your hand and let me pray with you. Anyone? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to settle the issue. I want to make sure heaven's my home. Are you raising your hand, honey? Good for you. Glory to God. Anybody else? Anyone else? Right there. Bless your heart. Bless your heart, sir. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you for your boldness. Because you know what Jesus said in the Bible? He said, if you will confess me before men, the day you stand before my Father, and we all will, I will confess and affirm you. But if you deny me before men, then the day you stand before my Father, I'll deny you. Pretty bold.